0: Welcome back to the Fueled and Well podcast. I'm Brittany, a registered dietitian, and I love helping women ditch dieting for good, tune back into their bodies, and feel confident in the health choices they make. Today's episode is a behind the scenes look at my history with food and exercise, and why I chose to take my nutrition and health journey in a radically different direction. While I don't mention a lot of numbers in this episode, I will be describing some disordered behaviors. So if that is gonna be hard for you to listen to, please consider skipping this for your own well-being but if you are good to go, let's get into it. So let's just jump into it because I want to cover as much as I can, but not take up too much of your time. So I was born. What a lovely start, right? Here's my biography, but I was born in 92. And so I was starting to notice things about bodies and food and comments on that stuff like right as the 2000s were starting right before that I was too young but if any of you are around my age or even if you're younger but you've seen stuff on social media the early 2000s were a rough time in terms of how food and bodies and especially women's bodies were talked about That is not to say that if you are currently a younger teen or early 20s and still kind of forming your view of the world in terms of food and bodies, that's not to say that you have it so much easier because I'm sure you don't. But I just remember that particular time being like a really specific kind of diet culture. And so to give you a few examples, if maybe you've blocked it out or you weren't present for that time in our culture, late 90s, early 2000s were all about how thin could people be. That was genuinely the focus. The magazines were not trying to, and like I just dated myself, yes, magazines were not trying to hide the fact that what we cared about was what these celebrities' bodies looked like and if they were thin enough. There was no mention of health or positive body image or, I mean, really anything other than what's their weight? How thin are they? Have they gained weight? That was the whole conversation. There would be female celebrities on talk shows who were asked to get on a scale. Like, in front of a live studio audience. It was insane. The focus was really, really heavy on appearance, size, weight. I would argue a lot more so than it is today. There's still a lot of gross stuff going on today, but that was the hyper fixation of the time. If you remember anything about the 2000s, this was like the time when Biggest Loser was an incredibly popular show where Oprah was spending a lot of her airtime talking about weight and weight loss and these crazy crash diets. It was just, it was wild. I actually found a piece written in Slate recently who I think it was written by or they interviewed a reporter who worked for us weekly for like 15 years throughout this kind of whole time period 90s 2000s and she said that when they would want to write up stories on celebrities and they would want to get that shock factor of putting a specific weight on the cover to get you to buy the magazine they would call nutritionists and doctors and ask them to estimate what they thought a celebrity's weight was based on their pictures which one already gross but if what those answers were didn't feel shocking enough or low enough, she said that they would be encouraged to continue calling more people until they got a, a number that made them, that gave them like a jump scare, right? And that's the number they would publish. So that's how focused the media was on this stuff at the time. That's when I was, you know, 9, 10, 14 years old, like kind of in that time frame. I was also in gymnastics from a pretty young age, which there's, always a risk in any type of sport that you're going to be exposed by a coach or fellow teammates to a lot of, you know, negativity around food and body. But in particular, at that time, those like aesthetic sports like gymnastics, it was it was really hard. So that's kind of the like the soup that I was living in. My mom was actually pretty, pretty positive towards food for like myself and my brothers and all that. But I did absorb a lot of just like, Her own stuff with food and body, like going on the cabbage soup diet, I remember, was one that stands out to me. But she had a whole book of different diets she would rotate through. She would talk about, you know, fat as like a feeling, like she felt fat. Uh, It was never directed at me, but it was, again, part of that soup that I was living in, right, that context. So if that gives you an idea of kind of like my initial framework, what kind of informed what's to come next. That's where I was at in like the preteen days. Okay, so I was in gymnastics at a pretty high volume. I was there all the time at that age. And I remember a lot of talk around food and bodies and, oh, you need to go up a size in the leotard from last season. And no, we can't take a snack break because you haven't worked hard enough yet. Like there was just a lot of that. I think I was fortunate until I hit puberty to Not stand out body wise on my team. But once I did, those comments weren't kind. And I had coaches who were incredibly thin and I think just didn't understand why I couldn't keep my body like it was before I hit puberty. Which, if you know anything about physiology, it's very common for your body to change when you're going through that time period, right? Female, male, however your body chemistry is, like your body's going to change. So that was definitely tough. That was when I probably first started being aware of. Calories and all of that stuff, and just sort of what I quote unquote should and shouldn't be doing based on talk from teammates or coaches. And that started to get in my brain. Then I don't, I genuinely still, like I told you guys, my memory's not good. I don't remember what facilitated this, what spurred it, but I picked up a book, and I'm not even going to say what book it was. It was a really popular book at the time about essentially veganism and how all of the animal-based stuff was so terrible, which makes me laugh because all my husband currently sends me are these insane, I almost said the F word, but I probably shouldn't, these absolutely ridiculous accounts about animal-based diets and eating liver all the time to start your day. It's crazy how it's changed, right, in 15 years. But anyway, I digress. I bought this book about veganism, essentially. And it wasn't fully sold to you. It was about that. It was like what you don't know about the food system and how plants can make you so much healthier and all these things. So maybe at face value, I wasn't like, oh, I want to go vegan. But I was like, what more can I learn about food? How can I control my body better by not eating all these terrible things? Right. That was my going into it. I remember being like 15 on a plane reading this book. I'm like, what 15-year-old is reading a fucking book like this? But I was. I ended up more or less going vegan after reading that book because I was convinced that everything that wasn't a plant was going to kill me or I shouldn't be so callous about that. But I was. I, I really fed into the idea that like you are doing yourself direct harm if you're not eating a vegan diet. It also coincidentally was a really easy way to hide the fact that I was wanting to control my calories more than I thought would be acceptable at that age or by the people around me. So I think that going vegan was a a really lovely little way for my disordered eating and calorie restriction focused brain to have an out, have a reason. And that's when everything kind of spiraled for me. And I, I say spiral in the sense of it was like a, a snowball effect from there, right? One thing kind of led to another in terms of how much real estate this took up in my mind. And so I would say by like halfway through high school, I was always cooking separately. I didn't agree with how my family ate because it was, you know, whatever foods that I was told were bad. I'm not even, again, going to give examples. But I was always cooking separately. I could never eat what they ate based on my beliefs at the time. And shortly after that, I started tracking macros and all that stuff. That is also when Pinterest started to become popular. I would guess end of the 2000s is probably when Pinterest started and the amount of pinned quotes that I would print out and keep in my books at school or in my backpack or hide in my room of the the nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. If you're anywhere near my age, you remember how much of that stuff was touted as inspiration and it was really just fuel for disordered eating and abusing your body basically I was all the way in that all the way in that by the time I graduated high school and I didn't go straight into nutrition when I got to college I actually did a completely separate degree um, and I only chose to pursue nutrition When I got even more disordered, I thought, oh, okay, I'm getting really good at this. My body's doing what I want it to do. I'm controlling it. I know more than everybody about food, so I might as well make this my career. And I have spoken to so many coworkers, old classmates who got into the field for a similar reason and have gotten past their own stuff enough now to be a really key resource for people who go through the same thing. But you have to get over your own shit first, right? So to get back on track here, I went to college not for nutrition, was studying something totally separate, but food took up an excessive amount of my time by this point. I was primarily macro counting. I remember being incredibly frustrated by how hard it was to count macros with the dining hall setting. So there were many times where I would opt to make my own breakfasts and snacks because I could control them. And If you've ever lived in a dorm with a mini fridge, you know, it's not very easy to like make your own meals. I didn't have, I didn't have any way to cook. I just was convinced that I could do it better than the dining hall could because I could measure it all and track it all. It was genuinely taking up so much of my time. And then by the time I went to school for nutrition, this was 2014, I was driving almost two hours a day total because of where school was compared to where I lived, and then I would go down to Dallas, which was a pretty far drive, to tutor, and I'd do that for hours at the end of my day. And when I tell you that I would have every meal and snack in one of those little black plastic meal prep containers, and I would have it measured down to the T, down to the gram, and I wouldn't allow myself anything outside of that. I used to say, "Oh, it's because I'm on a really tight budget." That was not the reason. Spoiler alert. Maybe that was 10 percent of the reason. But I didn't have to be controlling my food as hard as I was. I was choosing to do that. Right. So that's kind of the peak of mine was probably end of college, early into the, the next part of my degree when I was incredibly busy, but still making time for excessive amounts of exercise and prepping every single thing I ate ahead of time so that I could plug it into my tracker and know what was coming. That was probably the worst part for me. I was fortunate enough to never have any like significant physical issues from what I was doing to my body. I do believe at one point I was on some like iron, some supplements and things because I was pretty restrictive with certain micronutrients and whatnot because of foods I wouldn't eat. But I never had anything super significant happen in terms of my body giving me any crazy red flags. But what happened for me is I was getting to a point in my life where one, I was realizing, okay, I'm pretty sure that this is not something I'm supposed to teach my clients how to do when I become a dietitian. So I do need to figure this out if I care enough about this career field, which I did. So that was one thing. I also met my husband. So we met in early 2016 and I was in a really busy stage with school and clinical internship coming up and we started dating, but it was long distance. And I just thought, wow, (laughs) I'm currently spending hours every day, either manipulating food, being in the gym or thinking about food. And now I'm going to try to stack on more responsibilities in school slash work and successfully navigate a long distance relationship, uh, something's got to go. <laughs> so there were a couple stages of me coming out of this really rough place with food. One was realizing, oh shit, I don't think I'm supposed to pass this on to other people. I don't think this is how dietitians are supposed to help people. This is maybe how some do because they never work on their own stuff, but I don't want to be that kind of. Provider, right? Two, I really don't have time for this. And I remember looking around in my last year of school and then in my clinical internship and seeing how negative so many of these either dietitians or dietitians in trainings relationships with food were. And I just thought, okay. I'm going to be different. Right. I'm not going to be the dietitian that encourages people to eat excessively low calorie meals and only consume low fat. dairy. Like I just it's it's not what I'm going to do. And I think those all kind of built this resistance and desire to change in me. And then when I got my first actual job as a dietitian, I was a Sports dietitian for some teams at a big college. And I just remember looking around at all these 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds, maybe a little older if they were hanging out for an extra year and thinking, oh my God, I can't, I can't give this to y'all. I cannot put this type of food mindset on y'all. I will never, I will never forgive myself if I put them through. All of this, just because I believe at one point that it was the quote unquote correct way to eat. I know now that it's not. I know that it's negatively impacting the quality of my life. I'm not going to teach these kids this shit. There's no, there's no way. And I remember one of my very first athletes that I ever worked with, I was terrified to help her because she had a pretty significant eating disorder and I was brand new. It was my entry-level job, my first job. I had no experience. I was so afraid. And I don't even think I did that much to help her other than acknowledge, hey, this is a really big problem. Here are some really simple things I'd encourage you to start doing. Here's how to fuel your body a little bit better. But I didn't know how to counsel somebody with an eating disorder. I was literally brand new. And I will never forget working with her. She messaged me earlier this year, I believe, to tell me how much I had helped her, which I would have never in a million years expected that message from her. And I think she helped me more than than I helped her because seeing her struggle and realizing I have a choice to make here. And if I choose to work on my own relationship with food in my body, I'm going to have the opportunity to change people's lives, to help them pull themselves out of a really, really dark place with food and their bodies that I never quite got to a rock bottom of, but that I was on my way to, right? Or I can take this other path where I want to cling to the low-calorie bullshit I learned in school and learn about all the judgy-ass restrictive nonsense we were taught to evaluate people with when I was going through my classes to become a dietitian. I can choose to go that path and essentially exacerbate my own disordered eating, most likely, and harm people like this incredible athlete that was in my office desperately needing help, but feeling so at war with food in her body that she couldn't yet help herself. Right. I can pick one of two directions. I can enable that kind of stuff and continue to put myself through that relationship with food and let it just consume my whole ass life and have that be my whole identity and continue harming other people in the process because I don't know enough to help them, like I need help. Or I can choose to say, this is honestly bullshit and doesn't need to run my life anymore. And going the second way was the harder, but the much more aligned choice, for lack of less cheesy word. Like, it was difficult, but I couldn't picture not taking that option anymore after what I was seeing. And so that was, how old would I have been? 24, going on 25. When I like full-fledged went into intuitive eating, I was already kind of toying with the idea of, okay, I can't sustain this much longer. I need to start accepting that the way my body looks right now is about to change because I'm not young anymore. I'm not in that place where I can maintain this size like I know something's gonna give soon but I wasn't quite ready to fully loosen my grip on food and then starting that job like soul propelled me I never looked back like it probably didn't take me but six months to be so hell-bent essentially on helping other people with intuitive eating after that all happened so I know that I'm not giving you any action steps in this episode right here's my tips or whatnot but I just wanted you to have a better idea of the whole process that I went through because two things that I want to leave you with. I find two different things come up a lot with clients. Either they don't feel justified in how hard food is for them. So let me explain. They either say, well, but my mom didn't put me in Weight Watchers or I've never, you know, had a significant other break up with me because of my body or they say like, well, I haven't had it that bad, so why can't I just get over this stuff with food? I will tell you that the cumulative effect of all those little micro kinds of problems that we pick up, whether it's from society or our mom saying that they think they're unattractive because they gained weight, but they didn't say it about us, even things that seem like they shouldn't affect us that much, they just all add up, right? And then we start doing our own research. And then we start playing with manipulating food just to see how it feels. And then we get one good comment about that. And we just, it snowballs, right? So if you don't take away anything except my memory is trash and I like to swear from this episode, (laughs) I hope that you do take away, you don't have to have An incredibly traumatic experience around food, weight, body, comments, whatever it is, you don't have to have that big moment or that really negative family member or that incredibly toxic coach. You don't have to have that to struggle with food in your body and have that be a very valid problem that you're working through. Okay. And then the other thing that I would leave you with is if you have attempted to work with a dietitian before and you have come out of it more rigid, more nervous about food, more disciplined in a way that feels white knuckling and like really just hanging on for dear life because I'm supposed to eat like this. I just want to say that I apologize for you having that experience. And I hope that if you are still wanting to feel better about food and have food enhance your life, not take away from the quality of life you have, I would encourage you to give it another go with somebody who is kind, who is not going to shame you about weight and food. Usually looking for a non-diet or intuitive eating dietitian is a good place to start. You're still going to want to vet people, but that is something I've seen come up for a lot of my clients is, this isn't the first time I've worked with a dietitian, but the last time I came out of it more afraid of carbs or counting macros when I never had before, and that was really hard for me and I didn't really it didn't put me in a good space. Some people are okay doing that, right? But a lot of people that causes some new problems. If you've had that experience, I see you and I can't imagine how tough that is to potentially look at getting help again from the same type of provider and hoping they're going to provide you a better experience. So yeah, I hope just knowing a little bit more about how I've come to this place with my own food and body work, but also why I love helping clients with this so much. I hope it just gives you a little more perspective, maybe a little bit more hope or ability to see how it can get better if you're still having a hard time. So the main reason I wanted to share this story with you today is so that you can see that you are not alone if food or exercise are taking up way too much of your time and headspace. space. If you feel like you've been trying to get out of this place for a while, but haven't made a lot of progress, I would highly encourage you to apply for one-on-one nutrition coaching with us. We can help you accelerate your progress towards food freedom and give you so much of your precious time and energy back. You can apply today at the link in the show notes or message us on Instagram if you have any questions. Thank you so much for being here and I will see you next week.